Hi, this is Derek Karp, the founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA podcast show. And I've got another great guest in our series of security leader journeys and, uh, you know, break down where people came from and how they ended up where they are today. And this is going to be another great one, I can tell already, um, based on our discussions and uh, based on this guest reputation. So I've got Ron Brash, the VP of Technical Research and Integrations at Adolis Technology on here. Ron is uh, many things. Uh, he is you know, certainly known in the industry, but he's a problem solver. He's a wakeboarder. He's a multi, a mini Chihuahua owner. He's a do-it-yourselfer. He's a geek. He's a sharer of information uh, and all around adventurous guy when it comes to uh, many different water sports, uh, which we'll get into. Uh, welcome to the show, Rob. Oh, thanks, Derek. It's nice nice to be here, but also uh, finally being able to put a face face to a name after so many years. So, so thanks again. Yeah, I, I, you know, I marvel that we have not crossed paths more. Uh, we have so many people in common. And uh, when I, uh, you know, saw you at S4 and we were chatting, I, I made a note. I'm like, okay, I, I gotta get Ron on the show. We gotta talk some more. Um, it's it's long overdue, so this is this is super cool. And I know people that are uh, part of your career journey have been on the show, uh, so we'll we'll get to that. Uh, so it's awesome to have you sort of on the, in the arc, uh, you know, putting your putting your your journey uh, into this uh, into one of our next episodes. Um, so you know, I I sort of make the same <laughs> joke that. Cybersecurity people are modern-day superheroes, and all superheroes have a backstory. And uh, if anyone's been on the show that did fall into a vat of acid to get their, you know, superpowers, I, I could suspect it could be someone like you. But where do you? What's your backstory? Where do you? Where do you come from? Uh, I mean, I come from all, all over the place. Uh, a lot of people ask me where my ethnicity is, and then I say, well, I'm Canadian. Then the rest doesn't matter. But I grew up on uh, on Vancouver Island. It's the west coast of Canada, I, a small little town called, well, I was in Euclid, but I was born in Tofino. Uh, so those that are familiar with Tof with Tofino, it's the, the surfing paradise of the west coast of North America for the most part. Uh, so I grew up in a rainforest where it was wild. Uh, and my family, uh, we eventually moved to another town called, or a city called Nanaimo, but I grew up with oil and gas. So my story really starts there, growing up with baby boomers and blue collar work for, for uh, large scale uh, fishing operations, large scale logging, uh, and my, my family sold fuel. And that was kind of, uh, they were there since 1946 when uh, the veterans came home uh, after World War II uh, and they were given places to live. And so my family kind of started off in an isolated town that didn't actually even have a road until the early 70s actually. So. I grew up in a, a MacGyver mindset, and that's my beginning. I love it, and uh, I know from you know from our previous discussions, sort of early exposure to work and the kinds of work and work ethic that began, you know, with I think to some degree with family things. Sure, a lot of exposure there, and then some other businesses and passion businesses having to do with water sports. You know, what just talk about sort of your first introduction to whatever you want to call it, work. Oh, work. Uh, well, growing up with my family, I guess was work. Maternity leave didn't really exist for my family, so my sister and I were uh, we were actually being rocked underneath the desk while my mom was doing books. Like that was it was a different time and a place, maybe not so acceptable today. So I I grew up dipping bulk tanks with my dad when I was a little a little child under the age of seven, for example. Uh, you didn't wear a mask, you didn't wear gloves. So I was exposed to work very early on. And I would say you're your superhero. So th there it is. It wasn't a vat of acid. It was fuel oil and fumes. So okay. Yeah, something like that. Well, and people, yeah, fuel oil and all that good stuff. But uh, I always considered work as work. Uh, and and you asked me when my first real job was, and I think they're all real jobs, and that's how we should always approach these things. But I think my first major one um, was working in a pizza shop. Uh, so my family retired early, of course, and there was a pizza shop on a lake uh, there, and I I got my kind of my my first kicks at it. 
And it turned out I was probably a better manager than, uh, than the rest of my peers. And so it was disgustingly hot. It taught me that I needed to work hard to not put myself in that situation for the rest of my life. It taught me, you know, to deliver on time, deliver quality, but while managing, you know, how much like cheese is the most expensive thing in a pizza. It's also the number one most stolen food in, in grocery stores, by the way. Wow, but to make, to make sure that the quality is there, making sure your customers are happy. And if they're not, uh, preparation, you've got to make all the dough and have it ready. Otherwise, you can't open. Uh, making sure, you know, the bathrooms are clean, the cooking clean, when the food inspector comes. So work, it taught me all of these things. Uh, and also leave the place like you found it. If you're going to show up for the next shift the next day, you probably don't want the whole sink full of, full of dishes. And if the food inspector comes, you're going to be in big trouble. So it taught me a lot of things uh, about rigor, even though it was a, it was just above minimum wage at the time, which was 10, well, minimum wage was like five bucks. It was, I was getting paid 10, which was big dollars back then. Yeah. It was different. So that was my first real experience at work. It had nothing to do with computers. Yeah, awesome. Where where does technology intersect with uh, you know that? I mean, I, I by the way, you know, I had a lawn mowing business. Uh, so it just you know, you listen to me speak. I'm like, yeah, we can learn some pretty in, informative things that we use. Then the rest of our life can be you know can be found out in some of these uh, you know more, more pedestrian uh, sort of er, early occupations. If you <laughs> using the word occupation loosely, what when does technology intersect with your path? Are you interested in it as a young person? I was always interested in it. I don't think I was interested in it for the sake of, of, let's say, I want to learn how to code. That didn't cross my mind at all, but my parents had computers for their business. Uh, and so it intersected early on there because we had access to 286s and then 386s. And I think, I think at one point we had a 486 and then we went to a Pentium 2 and all sorts of stuff. But this was before DOS 3.1. And so I was like banging around on the, on, you know, on the console, trying to mount freeware games. Uh, I can't remember what now, but Wolfenstein 3D was one of the first ones I got and I had to go mount it on the floppy disk. And so I was going CDA mount and do whatever. And so that was probably my first intersection to it. And then eventually my parents got, uh, uh, we moved to Nanaimo and we got cable internet. And that was a big deal because everybody else was still paying by the minute on, on, you know, on DSL and dial up and we didn't have that and so i had a i think a 500 megahertz something or other eventually i got in trouble i downloaded a lot of stuff from limewire and it broke the computer uh but uh that taught me how to make websites and, and i think that's you know when you're starting to be under aware of consequences around 12 13 years old i started to like technology but it it wasn't what i wanted to do so that kind of leads us to the next conversation but that was my first real forays into technology it's always been present in my life but not the necessity yeah, it's interesting uh, with a lot of the guests, some have no exposure to industry and technology was their background. Some are, you know, all about industry and cybersecurity and information technology comes much later. And so you have some early kernels in both categories. You're, you're in, in, in introduced to industry and moving fuel and things like that uh, at an age that most of us, you know, didn't have any idea how any of that worked. Uh, and then you had sort of this interest area in, in, in technology. Uh, so I'm curious with those sort of seeds, you know, what, what happens, uh, what happens next? You, you know, I, I think early on you run into somebody who we both know as an industry figure and then there's sort of school and I, it's an interesting sequence of like some work and school and work and school. And so you sort of walk us through what happens uh, after graduating high school. Well, right before that, uh, I wanted to go do art school. Uh, I had a scholarship uh, and I was going to go to Emily Carr for non-traditional animation. So like 3D and composite stuff. Yeah. And then I had friends at EA Games, and that's where your soul goes to die. Uh, I know everybody that went there, they never touched a video game after three years. So that kind of tells you what at least the industry was like then. I don't know if it's still like that. Heard great things about Ubisoft, so maybe it's changed. But I wanted to go do art. 
but I had a lifestyle that I was used to. I liked water sports and water sports are not free. Gasoline is not free. Uh, so anyone that comes out of my boat, my boat doesn't run on thanks. It runs on gas uh, and somebody's got to pay for it. So it, this, I grew up with this, this understanding of other things. I also wanted to be a pro wakeboarder. Uh, and I had talent, but unfortunately I started getting knee issues around 16, 17 years old. And that's usually the sign of you'll never make it. So like gymnastics and that type of stuff, anytime injuries start happening younger. And my dad pulled me aside and said, hey, would you like to keep wakeboarding a hobby? You could still compete, but you better go to school or your body's going to be toast before you're 30 or 40. And I was like, mm, smart call, dad. I'll listen to that one, even though I don't like it. I'd like to follow my dream, but I don't like it. So I put a, a good, uh, pulled, pulled emergency brake on the realism aspects of life and it and at the time this was by sheer chance the local university which is now called Vancouver Island University had this program to grab high school students gifted high school students and and put them into uh, certificate and diploma programs as part of a, a education liaison if you will and I said well free education that's a no-brainer and nobody can take it away from me once I got it so I went off and it and I was good at computers and computer classes and stuff. And I said, I'll go do that. And, and so that kind of, that, that's how the, the tech thing started is I was like, hmm, I can afford life now. I can get my first job at 17, $18 an hour, 20. And it, it was really the beginning of, of tech is an integral part of my life. Not, it wasn't what I wanted to do. It just, it happened. Yeah. Is that also more, uh, more fuel uh, for the boat being funded? It was, it was. Uh, I was breaking wakeboards regularly as well. But no, it, it kind of just allowed it. I, I liked cars. I liked things. Uh, it kind of allowed me to start building my war chest for further education afterwards. Uh, education, you know, in Canada, we have, if you're American, you don't know what this is, but a TSFSA, uh, tax-free savings account, starting to prep those things and, our, and you know, retirement funds. I, I grew up around money and business and understanding it. And so I knew to save early because one should never trust the government intentions to ever be there when you need it. So... <laughs> I grew up in a very different mindset, maybe a bit anti-union, but I knew to start protecting myself early on. And maybe that's maybe that's the underlying theme for the rest of this talk, I guess, is uh, start planning and thinking what you need to do early on versus later. Yeah, yeah, uh, that, that it, it is interesting. So let's get into it. So you get this uh, you know, technology diploma. What what happens? What happens next? Well, uh, just before that, um, so I, I had known this famous gentleman, uh, some of you might know him, Eric Byers, who's my very good friend. I would actually consider him a best friend. Uh, and episode 33, by the way, in the series, you will now be uh, an episode somewhere in the 40s. He, I think he's episode 33. So, yeah. Yeah, he's one of the grandfathers of, of industrial cybersecurity. Uh, he might, might, might not be happy I told him a grandfather, but let's call it. Uh, but I, I knew Eric because of his steps on a game. Luck just keeps happening to me, and that's why I'm here to share all those pieces to pay it forward. Eric has seen me in my finest forms personally, but he's also seen me in my finest forms professionally as well. And he's been there to help me through all those moments. And so one day I was at Eric's house and he heard that I was going to school in the diploma program and said, uh, I heard you're good at breaking computers and doing stuff. I need somebody. And this is at the days of Tofino security. And I said, well, I was kind of inebriated. I said, Eric, right now is not the best time to talk about it, but can I call the office next week and I will come in for an interview and let's chat and I'll send you my resume and everything. And and he, and he, you know, I think he really respected the fact that I separated personal and professional, even though he, you know, sometimes they do a mix, but he knew that I would keep them separate. And, and so long story short, I walked in there and Eric's like, I heard, 
practicum time? And I said, yeah. And, and that was kind of my beginnings in industrial cybersecurity. I never thought of cybersecurity. I never thought of industrial. I never thought, I just didn't, I, it, tech was tech and code was code and testing was testing. Uh, and then eventually that kind of formulated into something, but that's, that's really where it started. Yeah, awesome. And so uh, this is uh, well, 2008 maybe? Um, yeah, something like that. It's been a while. Security for control <laughs> systems, that's getting in the range of, you can't get a lot earlier for people to be caring about cybersecurity for control systems. And as Eric said, he's, he, he didn't, I said, even though I, I coined him as having the first, sort of the first product. He's like, no, not the very first, but one of uh, the very first products that were, that were all about, only about cybersecurity as it pertains to, to industrial environments. Um, so you were there. I mean, that's a that's a rare thing to be able to say that you went straight from uh, uh, your first um, you know diploma program straight into something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, that, I mean, my other choices of employment were probably to go work for the school district in Nanaimo and do systems admin and you know getting your Microsoft whatever those certifications were back then. I don't remember the acronyms MC yet whatever. Yeah. That was that was kind of my option. Like my go. That was the community's option. And, and so this was completely by chance, very lucky. So talk about navigating, uh, your, yours is a little bit different, which is like company education, company education, you sort of, you, you don't just do, some people, you know, they just stack up this education. Um, I've heard people say, and your, your career path seemed to have done it, it's better to go out and get some experience and then go back for some more. Um, yes, that takes longer, but the context of the additional education is typically different because you did do yes. these other work sessions, you know, years in some cases, and so when you go back for education, that's a whole different context than a professional student, so to speak. Yes, yes, uh, professional student. That's So for those that are doing interviews, uh, be, walk, be mindful of your resume having sequential years of education. It actually demonstrates often an individual who doesn't know what they want. It also demonstrates a person who also might, and this might not be true, but it does, HR might see it differently, is it might present you as a risk because you're unhirable. So you keep going back to education. There's a number of different reasons about that, but mine was different. Um, and my master's is for a different reason altogether. But for my bachelor's or working before my bachelor's was really about understanding about where do I get started? So I opened the door, I got my foot in, I did a, a bunch of things I liked, a bunch of things I didn't like, a bunch of things I didn't know I liked. I tried a bunch of different stuff and I said, you know, at the end of the day and, and being around other individuals. So we'll talk about my mentors a bit more, but there are other individuals that are still in this industry that you don't hear about every day. Darren Lissamore, Eric Schwager, who's at, at Cat, a division of Caterpillar, Joel Langle, who just retired. Uh, those guys were all fundamental pieces of my environment. I was seeing all the things they were doing at the time. And I was like, you know, I want to do more. And, and so uh, the BCIT program kind of fit right in there. And I was like, okay, I want to do more. So I went into education with a, with a goal, a clear objective to come out with a higher salary to do those things. I knew already what I wanted because I got to test the water to see my 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 colleagues doing that stuff. And, and so that's that's why I went at it that way. It wasn't to formally validate me and, you know, get a little piece of paper on the wall. That's cool, too. But I went at it for a very different thing. And I treated education like it was a product, an investment in me. So you might hear me iterate and say, you know, educate. It's one thing to be spoon fed education. That doesn't mean you understand it. I went into education because it was an investment in me. And every time I've done that, my salary is if not doubled or tripled every time I go to do it. Now that's not because I don't think education should get me a paycheck by de facto. No, it's how you use it, how unique those ex experiences are, what the, the multiplier effects were out of it for me. And that really changed. The, that's why I ebbed and flowed between those things. But my master's was a different story, but that, that we can talk about later. <laughs>
Yeah, well, you know, I, I think talk about that. I mean, there's a, a couple of years between those things. So were you going back to Tofino? Yes, yes, I finished my bachelor's. Uh, so again, uh, Eric uh, wanted me to go to a fun project. So sorry, Nozomi and Clarity, I was doing packet anomaly detection on a Tofino as part of my bachelor's. Hate to tell you it, it I knew I could do it on an ARM microprocessor. It was brutally slow, but you could do it. So actually, Xscale, which was Intel's first foray into ARM, but nobody talks about that. It's, it was a terrible processor. Uh, so Eric brought me in on that, and then I started doing embedded development for Eric, and, and I brought a few products to market. And then, uh, I can't remember the exact year, 2014 or so, I wanted to go do my master's. And, and there was, no, I, th I thought about it. I wanted it for various reasons. And so I started going about it, but really it was to formalize the knowledge I already had. I wanted to write a thesis, not for the sake of having a master's and having a thesis published. I wanted an academic experience that was something that might be a, a stepping stone towards a PhD, should I go to do that. But it was something to formalize my knowledge. Um, it, did some, it, it did leave certain levels of credibility, uh, but I went at it a bit differently than everyone else. I found an advisor in a research area that I was interested in that wanted my research. Uh, and I was going to help him achieve his his goal. So career tip number one, don't ever go to university for your master's uh, thinking you're bringing tons of ideas and they'll be all accepted. No, your job is actually to help your faculty and your advisor with their research domains, not the other way around. Uh, pro tip. So I found so an advisor. Is there an opportunity there then? If you do want to have some selection, it's not going anywhere into your my ideas, but researching your advisor and program really, really well, because that may match up with something you 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 have passion about. So other way around, essentially find the right place versus yes. I'm going to go here and, and I'm going to get to do what I want to do. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But if you find the right mentor, advisor, faculty program, then you might get to do some stuff you want to do because you align. You got it. Exactly. That's exactly very different. It's contrary to what most people think about the education system or how it's, or how it's marketed to you. Uh, yeah. So that worked really well for me. Um, the other thing my master's did for me, and I was... And at the same time, by the way, I've moved, I resigned from Tavino Security, which had been acquired by Belden. I resigned uh, and I moved to Quebec, which was 5,800 kilometers away, different culture, different legal system, different everything known, known to man compared to me. And I moved away and uh, I was also running a startup in, in Quebec as well while I was doing my master's full time. I do not recommend that. I also don't recommend trying to have relationships at the same time. Uh, all sorts of things I learned and maybe would do differently, but I wouldn't, maybe I would. Uh, and so my master's actually helped me get credibility in meetings I should never have been in. So I had various, uh, very, very big name um, clients that I can't quite name, but one of which uh, makes drone related things, not the small little ones that fly around the four little propellers. And I was in a meeting and I was probably the only person in the room that didn't have a PhD or some sort of high level uh, designation. And having a master's, or at least not quite at that point, I was still a candidate and very close to wrapping mine up, had a certain level of credibility that my opinion stood at that table. So you, if you watch Big Bang Theory and, you know, you see them all laugh at the one gentleman that's got a master's, it, that, that was kind of me. But we were able to work through it. And so my master's at the end of the day was just kind of the cherry on top. But it did teach me things. It taught me how to write, how to use latex, how to do experiments, how to read research in massive levels. Yeah. It was it was an experience on its own. It didn't help me with my job per se, but it did teach me certain skills that have helped me after that. So again, a bit of a segue, but yeah, there was lots of stuff going on in that period of my time. So you've there's already been a little bit of this, but maybe just to, to make it a more formal um, ask, 
if you could, you know, what advice there's people at various, de you know, levels of, of currently in academic pursuit or planning to go back for some, you know, and, and so that's, uh, and they can be of all different ages, but obviously some of the people entering our workforce are definitely in that group. Any advice in, in that, in, you know, in that group? Because we get the question, uh, you know, we have, we have regular participants coming to a lot of our educational opportunities that are, that are students. And they want to know, you know, they're, they're all thinking about where to go next and where to put their time and what kind of things to educate themselves or any, any sort of early advice to somebody who, let, let's just maybe pick all the different variables. Let's say they are doing pursuing something academically, but they're excited about our industry uh, and want to move into it. You know, what, what would you say to them? Well, we'll definitely pick something that you have interest in. And, and maybe it's cybersecurity, maybe it's something related to cybersecurity. So I don't, I have a different vision of what cybersecurity is. Uh, it's the result of engineering or lack of. So you can now imagine that from a different perspective. You could be an electrical engineer and building a more resilient system. That's cybersecurity, especially in the control system world. Um, so if you've got a goal back to go to edu uh, something to go to education, you want to change your standard of life or to get more involved in, I don't know, making like, like what we're doing, keeping the lights on and water flowing, that's, you need to have that level of passion and that direct vision when you go to go to continue your studies or, or even change career paths. You need to have this. I'm not saying have it to a crystal T. There's an expression in the Canadian military, maybe it applies to the Americans, uh, directionally straight. What that means is you might have a place where you need to go that's n degrees north, let's say, or so many kilometers away north. But there's a mountain in front of you. There's a river in front of you. There's a, a marsh in front of you. And so you gotta, you got to walk around it. Eventually, if you're, if you, if you, and this is how the military thinks about it, you might not be able to get there straight. That's why there's no roads that are straight. It's not possible. So what you do is it's called directionally straight. So sometimes you're going to walk a little west and then eventually you're still going northwest and then you'll start getting closer and closer to your destination. And maybe north 100% isn't exactly where you want to go, but north plus a few degrees east or west is maybe exactly where you needed to be or exactly where you needed to go. So I always tell people if you're going to do your education, maybe you're going to do a little bit dip, dodge and dive, but you're going to get there and, and, and think about it. Think of yourself as a product. You're, you're improving your product. You are, you're improving your knowledge. No one can take that away from you. Even if you lost all the money in your house to the bank, it doesn't matter. You have education and you have an asset that nobody can take away and you can, you can use that to fund your next adventure, if you will, your war chest. And, and that's what I would give you an advice. And so whenever you do good education, especially my masters, I treated my thesis like it was a product. It had deadlines, it had requirements, it had all of those different things and that's if I hadn't had some mental health challenges and running my business at the same time, I almost blew through a three, a three year master's thesis, which was 198 pages or something stupid. I almost could have done it in a year and a half without studying during summers because I went into every meeting with my advisor, like boom, 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 very different, very rigorous. I don't you know. That's maybe a, a non-typical academic exercise, but that those would be my pieces of advice. There's a few nuggets in there. So one to circle back on would be, have a direction, have a focus, think of yourself like a product, and two, or I guess step zero was find something you're passionate about, even if it's not your immediate goal in life, just have a direction and start with it. Do you think you would have uh, taken that approach with the masters if you hadn't had the, the, the couple of year, twice, I think, couple of year, you know, work experience? That's a, that's a good question. Hindsight's always a killer too, isn't it? I think this is a question people ask themselves. Should I go right from undergrad, you know, right to graduate? And I've heard people talk about this, right to a graduate degree. And you did not do that. And I've heard other people talk, who, who, you know, occasionally 
not on, not on this show though. So this is going to be unique that you're sharing sort of this aspect, but that there's potentially a lot of value to not going sequentially right from one to the other. And I was wondering if this is one of those outputs is that when you went back for that, you're this rigor and driven product in HIE, here's what I want to achieve and what I want to get done. You know, would that have been that way? Well, part of my situation, which maybe other people can relate to, is educational systems like to focus on their own. So BCIT didn't have a master's program, but it's not a bachelor's of computer science. I had a BTEC, a bachelor's of technology, which meant that I didn't pass the entry requirements at most universities. I had to get around a number of things. Same with getting into my bachelor's. Uh, so I did my diploma at what was not a university at the time, and they didn't have a partnership with that, with that, institu that technical institute. I had to bridge. So I, I went into to year three of my bachelor's, and though I didn't do year one and two. I did a bunch, I did, I can't remember, six or seven courses to bridge. So I was always dodging in different ways. And I had to come up with, I had to have expertise. So when you're thinking about uh, sequential education and degrees, part of it comes down to where you want to be. So if you do your bachelor's and master's at that university, you probably can't do your PhD there. And they have, they've got a term for this. I think it's called educational incest. And so you're, yeah, that's actually a formal name. They actually, incestuous education and teaching, they don't like, if, for example, if you wanna teach and become a faculty member, you shouldn't have your PhD probably from that institution or, and your master's at the same. They want you to have diversity. They want you to do things. That's a benefit of what my, what my approach was. I actually struggled in even trying to get into all of these institutions and I, I slogged my way through it, but I went at it very different. So if you were to say, you know, going after a graduate degree right after a bachelor's, Depends on what your goals are in life. Depends what you want. If it, your master's is something you really love doing and it's going to get you a fancy job or I don't know, whatever, go for it. But as long as that investment is worth it for you, because it's, you know, if, if the job's going to come out with $60,000 paycheck and you owe 300000 to the bank, might not be so smart from a financial return on investment perspective. I'm not saying from a personal perspective, but from a financial one. So find something that matters to you and will help you achieve the life goals that you want. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. As a lifelong entrepreneur, I sort of saw have a business plan because that's how we'd approach doing a startup. You know, it's like what it's going to cost to make it, and you know how much, you know, what kind of return could it perform, and you know, is it a good idea? And sometimes you kill the business plan. You know, you, before you invest overly, uh, you lose some hours, some prep, but you don't you don't go down the road only to find out, oh crap, I wish we hadn't done this. Occasionally, you do go you know really far with a startup, but um, that's what it came to mind for me. The way you were describing that is just be deliberate um and and have a plan and they probably you know the age-old thing too if you write it down uh then it's there's a lot of value in that and, and even how our brain records things so if you did write a plan for yourself so i, I don't know if anybody advocates for that but that's what came to mind as i listened to you talk yeah uh there's great books on this if you google like entrepreneurship and start start startup life uh they work on business canvases uh, and SWOT analysis, and gosh, help me for the definition of SWOT. It's like strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Yeah, I did a whole, I just had uh, a whole session with uh, a lot of attendees today. We did SWOT from the, the OEM leader perspective for manufacturing, and that's the scaffolding I used for the conversation, yeah. You, you do the same thing for yourself. Uh, so I do, I, I tell, I mentor in the odd time, and I say, do this for your, for your personal. What do I want to do? What would I like to do? What do I need to do? And that might include career and personal and relationships too. And then you have your career. What do I need, want, and would like along those lines? And you might apply a SWOT to each job you might be applying to in your, and as you adapt yourself. And uh, it, it kind of crystallizes or, or distills what it is that you want. 
I don't know how to explain it, but uh, you'll kind of find yourself putting one foot in front of the other versus kind of stalling and paralysis if you start formulating those steps. I'm not saying that's for everyone, but having some structure is always better than no structure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I, I agree with you. And that makes that's that makes a lot of sense. You've dropped the word mentorship a couple of times. And that's something I'm also passionate about and something that CCA is getting more into now with a, building out a formal program to help people get connected with the right mentors. And I mean that in a broad sense. There's lots of different kinds of mentorships and some of them could mm-hmm. be short lived and very specific. Yes, some of them could be formal and we meet once a month to what people think about. But there's all sorts of things um, we talk about that receiving it you know and uh and giving it both i think that's those those things have both played in your your story share about mentorship uh well i mean mentorship i mean i had it at my job that was definitely true and i had individuals that believed in me and and really helped me drive through and i thought i couldn't get into a master's program uh i think he's like the head of r&d at uh, hirschman or belden uh oliver kleinberg now i don't know what he's up to but, but he was like, Ron, you can go get your master's. There's no reason why they wouldn't accept you. And, and so that was encouraging, right? Like some of it, mentorship could just be the odd little commentary that's very helpful. The other time is someone sitting you down or breaking down or walking you through a problem. Uh, others have just been there, like Eric for you know my most of my professional, all of it basically, um, and guiding me on various things and helping me grow and, and stuff. Uh, so those are, that's one act of mentorship. But I will tell you what they all had in common. They all held me accountable to what it was. Whatever whatever chances they gave me, whatever knowledge they gave me, I was held accountable for. Whether or not they said it or not was was not relevant. I always held myself accountable to it. But I think that is something that you should do for yourself. But also it's something I have problems with in individuals coming to me for mentorship. So I have lots of people over the industry, uh, fresh grads, Others that are in the industry and work for competing companies in some cases, uh, although not at the moment, but in cases they have been past uh, competing. And I don't care because like like we've kind of enumerated my story, I've been very lucky. And so I try to teach and add a different flair to it. But what, the one thing in common is those that I still laugh about three, well, not laugh, um, I, I sadly watch on Twitter still saying they can't get a job three years later. And they have tons of followers. I don't know why, but they're talking about this isn't good enough and that's enough. Those were the ones that didn't follow through. Those ones are the ones that they're like, oh, I'm just like the rest of my peers. I'm going to complain. They didn't study after five o'clock when the bell rang at work and saying your shift was over. They weren't the ones taking extra courses and investing themselves. They weren't taking on projects, however small, 20 minutes a day. The ones that did those things, which is very rare, it's like one out of 10. One out of 10, those ones are the ones that get the six figures. They're the 3X, the 10X employees. Uh, so, and when I find mentor, when I try to mentor, I try to find individuals who want, who have that, that have gone back to school because of a changing life consideration that shows that they want it. Uh, I look for that, but that might be a mirror of myself. So, um, so take that for a grain of salt, but that's, I try to mentor and help out everybody I can as I go. Yeah. Well, that, that's, um, one that's, you know, a super positive thing, uh, and we need more of that. And, and I would say that my experience of our industry is that you're not alone in that. Uh, there are a lot of people willing, uh, you know, uh, t- to give back uh, or feel compelled. I mean, even that's how I sort of listening to you. That's how it feels more like not something. Yeah, I'm willing to do it, but compelled to do it. And that's uh, the fact that our industry has so many people like that. I can't really speak to other industries other than entrepreneurship, which I've been you know, doing my whole life. I'd say a lot of entrepreneurs are willing to give back, too. Um, but it's people have to ask. Right. I mean, that's part of this is that. People need to not be afraid to ask for it because they'll be surprised how many people will give it. What's the worst thing they say? No. Right. Um, 
So, so fun story. My sister has, has special needs and, uh, one day we weren't paying attention, but she walked over to some guy at a vending machine in a mall and was like, Hey, can I have a hot uh, chocolate bar? And, and he goes to give her one. And then we were like, Jay, what the heck are you doing? And, uh, the guy's like, well, she asked for it. And we're like, well, true. You know, we're like, Jay, you shouldn't talk to strangers and ask for chocolate. But she went and talked to the, but he was right though. Like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? No. Well, yes, she got the chocolate bar. Right. Like, so, um, I, there is, I tell everybody like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Especially if you follow through on the yes, what's the worst? Yeah. You made yeah. a friend. <laughs> I think that's one of the golden nuggets. Every session with you guys has yielded multiple of these. And there, there's one that just sort of popped in my head is don't waste people's time, yours and people's time by asking and then not, not doing the follow through because yeah. that it's, it, it ends up in the same place. It really goes nowhere. Whereas if you're prepared to, to ask for advice and mentorship, a lot of people would be willing to give it, but it, it, it only really works. The magic is when you, when you do, you, you do the fall, you do the work. And, and it might be, you might go honest up to the mentor and be like, look, I'm really interested in this. I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything, but I do have these passions. So I had a guy come to me with a cybersecurity resume and he's like, I've got a hundred grad peers. So I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, what is it that's on your resume that's any different than the other ones? It turns out the guy was actually modifying uh, Nintendo ROMs and selling them on, on eBay. Like reverse engineering and doing some wonderful hacky things. And I was like, why is that not at the top of your resume? Why aren't we talking about that? Um, and so he was, you know, all of a sudden that conversation went from, I don't know what to do in my life to how can I make that uh, and expand on that as part of my career. So that was that honesty part with yourself of what you do bring to the table or what you're, you know, if you just want to use me as a, let's say a beautiful mind, a glass wall and you're bouncing ideas off me, that's also acceptable too, because I didn't set up any next steps out of that other. You just came to me and said, I, I would like some help. You got an hour of your time. And I'll say, you know what? Absolutely. Just just you come with a plan. And what, if it's just a bouncing idea, it's great. Tell me that. But don't go to me, bounce ideas off, and then be like, I'm going to do things. And then I follow up with, I will follow up with you often uh, and see if you're holding you honest. Or I have individuals that, that follow up with me on their own accord, but that's rare. Um, so I, I even chase people. I'm like, so did you make my time worth it? Like, what did you do for it? And, and maybe that's maybe a bit over the top, but uh yeah it's it's different oh man so many memories come to mind when you're listening to you and i think of entrepreneurs in my early you know in over the years and i i used to give small mini homework assignments and entrepreneurs are busy so it wasn't arduous but just like hey do this and just send me a note you know an email this most never do it so i'm like okay so you wanted access and you want more and you'd like to have meetings and you let but this one little thing and you won't do it that tells me you know tells me some of what i need to know you know, especially if it was something that wasn't going to be a waste of your time, it's something useful uh, and you wouldn't even do that. Yeah. Magic. Magic's probably not going to happen there. At least not no. between the two of us. Yeah. Um, so let's talk. You, you go on to be a uh, CTO uh, at Lance um, Embedded Inc. You know, that's after the Masters, I think. Uh, during. During the Masters. During. During. Okay. All right. Um, and and that's sort of, uh, I mean, you, you think about your sort of your path. That's products, right? And then you've yes. got some consulting in there. So professional services uh, after that with with um, with one of the big four, Deloitte. Yes, that's right. Yep. Then Verve, a well-known, another well-known company in the space with products and services, right? Yes. You know, I, I got to ask you anything in that chain of those that you like. This was interesting. This was distinctive. I want to share this little this nugget or piece of that journey. 
Uh, sure. I mean, we could talk about the Deloitte thing too uh, and consulting and what that brings. But yeah. the one thing I will say about running a, your own startup is knowing when to leave your emotions at the door. That is the biggest thing for anyone that's going to be entrepreneurship. And there's big cost to entrepreneurship, especially in mental health and relationships. Like, do not get me wrong. There's some big costs there, especially when you have the bank won't give you money and you have to personally guarantee stuff for three years. Let me tell you, your liability insurance sucks because um, you don't have any. <laughs> uh, so definitely on that. But if you're like, so what happened to me was Trump came to power and I'd been making doubling my profits every year. But Trump came to power and challenged NAFTA. My U.S. customers didn't want to give Canadian companies that weren't theirs any money anymore because the tax reasons and all, all this stuff are going away. So all of a sudden, boom, I lost all of my income within like a couple weeks. So uh, I was still in the black. I still had some, like contractually, they still had to pay me out. So we, we went to the, la to the last T and I sat down and I thought about what it was that I went out to attempt to do with a business. I went to go learn on how to do all these things. I learned how to do sales. I learned a statement of work. I learned how to do scoping and requirements and handoffs and, and different hardware stuff. By the way, I'm not uh, formally trained in embedded systems and yet I can reverse engineer a PCB and read the, the schematics. Fancy that. You learn that when you're doing consulting. Um, that I, I learned all of that stuff. I learned how to do pitches, elevator pitches, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? At the end of the day, it was good memories, but it was time to close that chapter and I closed it. So that's the very important lesson right there. Then I called up a buddy at a big four, uh, got a job. I learned a lot, uh, a lot of what not to do to individuals, uh, but I did make a lot of good friends and I did learn a lot of things about professional, not just professional services, like very different than boutique consultancy, but at a wider level, how to build relationships, how do sales vehicles go, partnership structures and this and that and strategic stuff. I learned a lot. Uh, doesn't mean that it was a great place to be. I think that if it's not healthy for you, you should get out uh, if it doesn't jive with your ethics and so forth. Um, so I learned a lot there. I still have to interact with those parties from time to time. Um, so I have good the good thing to know is that sometimes it's all situational. It depends on the partner or the business uh, unit or practice that you're working with that that's the, the bad flavor in your mouth. Um, so I do have good things to say about it, but you know what, at the end of the day, I just, this is nonsense, I'm out. Would you, here's the a time. question, would you do it again? I mean, knowing what you know, and at the time of your career, would you do it again or or, or not? Uh, I wouldn't go back as probably one of the delivery individuals. Uh, I'd probably end up going back as a partner if that were the case. Well, I don't mean going um, back to your, your current arc. I'm saying if you go back in time and say, oh. you know, I know a little bit more, but you know what? I learned a lot from it. I'd still have to do it. I'd still do it. I probably not. would. I probably would, or maybe it wouldn't have been Deloitte. It might have been somebody else, but I yeah. would have probably have done it circumstantially okay so another uh, question there people who are maybe let's say earlier and you had some interesting stuff before that but let's say earlier um uh you know is that a good step especially if they're like i'm not sure where i want to break into the cybersecurity industry i mean you do get you learn a lot you get road road pretty hard uh but you don't have to do it forever and you can learn right. a lot so is that a, is that not a bad place to go to get some experience and then leap from there to lots of other places maybe it's on that indirect or you know i forget the, the word you use but you know not directly to your north star but not a bad maybe not a bad stop for a few years on your journey to something else you got it you got it you might learn how to manage individuals which you wouldn't learn in a standalone cybersecurity role for example uh what is audit what how do businesses work i mean there was a lot to be said there so i think it's great for anyone that's a keener that's willing to learn do the hard time uh, again remember before you do this by the way make sure you have good personal boundaries or you have a very like 
<laughs> it will take over your life, especially when partners are all over you um, and you're a key point of delivery. But yeah, I would pro I would recommend for some individuals to do it. If you are not a very strong person uh, that doesn't mind what other people think about you, having sales targets on your back and quotas and efficiencies, and you don't mind being thrown in the deep end on a topic you know nothing about and also, also being uh, wrong and having the customer yell at you, uh, then I would absolutely say go for it. It is a great experience. Uh, you maybe even get to travel the world or travel the country. I was always traveling. So definitely it could be the right thing for some people, but not all. That, that's huge. That's a good share. It's it's not a one size fits all. It's not, it doesn't fit all circumstances. But if you do your homework, ask some questions maybe of people who've done it, uh, and then it's a fit for you, it could be great. But it, it yes. might not be, it isn't great for for everybody. Yeah, if you're a homebody or you got kids, that's probably not the right place for you to be. Yeah. Um, especially, I mean, I was traveling somewhere every week. I don't recommend that with or without kids, big four or not, or consulting or whatever, or, or from conference to conference, as you know, Derek, right? Um, it's, it's a tough life. You just, you just need to remember that it is a tough life and you do, uh, hit, make decisions that have consequences. Well, go into it eyes wide open. I, you know, and to bring up your SWOT analysis, you know, maybe do a SWOT analysis on that sort of thing or anything you're going to do next. But that, that right there, there would be some strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and, and threats to your to, to lifestyle or to, to life balance. Uh, but if if you you know list enough of those things out, it might might make sense. I, I know for some people it's been it's been a, a huge step for them. I, I have lesser number of, of friends and acquaintances that say I love it and I love it and I still love it and I'm still doing it uh you know long term but uh it, it seems to be a milestone in a lot of people's careers and um yeah that's that, that that's cool so you know would you ever work with eric byers again hey fun joke uh I, well i do <laughs> he's he's my current boss um and I, I think he'll still be around for a little while longer so uh well hopefully knock on wood uh no i work for him again but this time um funny enough i think uh him and i are getting closer to peers less so than bosses to each other uh which is a nice change to see i guess mentoree become you know peer so yeah i, I do work with him once again <laughs> yeah and I, of course i knew the answer to that so you're you're working uh, at adolis and uh, eric and i've talked about that a number of times and it's an exciting area uh you know where there's a lot lot going on um, and the supply chain is, uh, it's clearly problematic to anybody who's paying attention. So, um, yeah, what, you know, what's exciting uh, about what you're doing today? Why did you, why did you team up with him again? And I love that theme. I've seen that in my own life and in other people's uh, journeys of sometimes great relationships. Uh, if you maintain them and, uh, and care about them, they, they can, you know, come back together again at, at future times in really interesting combinations. Eric has this habit of giving me hard things that nobody else in their right mind would take on. Uh, so for example, at S4, there was the ICS detection challenges. I knew with an inkling how hard that problem was, but then Eric brought me into it and John Cusimano and Dale Peterson, they all, and I think Mark Hurd was involved. A bunch of people just threw me under the bus at it. Um, and I went and did it. Same with Tofino, Eric threw me all sorts of hard problems. So Eric came to me and said, Ron, I got this hard problem. And, and I said, well, you need to be a little bit more funded uh, for me before I get there. And then he got that funding. And so I, I came along and, and wanted to go tackle the supply chain problem because I used to build the build routes that built the products for, for Tofino. Uh, several of the Tofino products are directly related to me and, and I wrote a lot of code on them or refactored it. So I was very aware of how we were not applicable to Heartbleed. You'll hear Eric talk about that. Well, I was the guy that Eric asked, are we affected by it? I was like, no, it's 
we didn't compile that in because I made sure that define wasn't there. I decrapified it. Uh, I made sure the extra bits weren't in the software. So I was aware of supply chain and maintaining all these crazy images and stuff way before this was cool. <laughs> and so, I, you know, even with my consulting, I knew that all these things were in the product. I need to provide lists in case the customer wanted to do updates because I took pride in making sure I provided updated images every so often in long-term kernels. And I knew all of these dead bodies are in these products, not just the, the component, but also how the components go together, which is often, which is, that's really far ahead in the future. No one's really figured that out, but it's coming. Um, that systems of systems problem, aircraft are seeing it much more and more often than we would like to see nowadays, but, uh, and cars. But I, I, I was interested in that. Eric just said, you know, come on back and we'll go do this thing. And well, it's turned into this whole crazy thing now after solar uh, solar winds and this and that. And yeah. I, I came back into it just to go solve another hard problem that was directly related to me liking reversing things and figuring it all out. It's interesting. Your whole arc, there's a, a bunch of elements that all connect right there with what with what you're you know what you're doing, but going all the way back. <laughs> yeah, it's like art. Like I was reverse architecting the things that I built for other people effectively, right? Yeah. Um, I, I didn't have a career in, in malware and reverse engineering and writing on Packers. Guess what? Turns out, screw it. I'll go figure it out. And, and guess what I did? And I'm, I'm building a team and I've got a reasonably good site team now that, that's doing the exact same thing in my footsteps. So, but at the same time, there's services aspects to it and to speak and to present and, and all of that's really come back here and it haunts me actually. I guess I'm a victim of my own success in some regards, but all of it is, it's a multifaceted thing. All of those experiences, that range, I think there's a book called that and I read it somewhere, about all these different experiences give you range and capability. Definitely it's all right here, right now. <laughs> I'm sure it's gonna grow, but right here, right now, there's range. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's interesting, if I understood what you said, uh, it's one thing to know now that component A, B, C, D, E are in this thing, this other product, and Product C might have an issue, and the owner of a, the product that has A, B, C, and D in it need to know. But you're saying also the combination of A, B, C, D, and E, not just what's natively true about each of those components, but the, the, the unique combination of those components, that's another thing. It is. It is. So I'll give you an example. Uh, you could have, for example, a vulnerable library in a piece of software, and it's related to compression. But that application never uses it for, uh, for example, to ingest something that might be malicious. They only out export out diagnostic data. You're not, the presence of a vulnerability does not equate to exploitability. So how do those two components go together? Or what's exposed? How is it used? All of that really plays a matter in here and that's systems of systems problems. And you are literally seeing it with aircraft now where you wind up with what's certified to work with something else it doesn't when a third party, get, another product gets involved. Uh, and you can go read a bunch of airworthiness reports about this. Uh, there's one where Rockwell Collins heads up display worked well on the aircraft because they only tested it with one, but the carriers bought a second one as an upgrade option. And when they went together and someone turned on all of the Wi-Fi in the plane, guess what? The heads up displays went blank. So fun example, you can go read it yourself on the internet. There's those type of cases and that's also true in software. So yeah. It's a whole fascinating universe. Uh, you can go down many rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a wild wilderness, isn't it? With a lot of things to come. Fascinating. Well, what else are you passionate about? You know, we I'm always curious about what do you what do you when you know future gazing, looking ahead. You know, what things excite you, and what things would you point? We get entry level people asking, or all kinds of people, but sometimes of our our, our earlier career path people saying, where might I where might I go? You know, uh, to be 
to look ahead and they can't see from their vantage point at their career, you know, what those exciting areas are. They might hear buzzwords like AI and machine learning and blockchain being thrown away around by people. What are you excited about five or 10 years from now? Sure. Well, my first piece of advice is if a bunch of people are screaming about something. You shouldn't do it. Is that so like that, the barber who's telling you what's you're, he's cutting your hair and telling you what stock to buy? You know, definitely yeah, don't do that. That's bad um, because you're already lost. Uh, so if someone said Bitcoin, buy it. Don't do it. Uh, and I knew that right away. And I, well, I could have, I guess, got rich because uh, I knew about it early on. But I, I didn't because I, I equivalented it to commodities trading and penny stocks. So that was a no bueno for me. I recommend people getting out there and, and trying something different. So here's a fun thing that I thought about when I was my bachelor's. There's all of these people from all of these countries and some countries like to really focus on the latest and greatest. So Python, Java, various different programming things and technologies. But they forget that there's always a new technology or framework every year or multiple every year. But for all that old industrial stuff or banking systems, it will be there forever. As long as you're alive and work and got a heartbeat and upright. So in that regard, I chose something like that because I knew that it would just it would always be there. Like, a, uh, like being a craftsperson of, of, of sorts. And so target something that not everybody else is doing, but is totally unique and you find interesting and fun. So that's definitely something that keeps me alive and working. Um, read books like Hack the Cybersecurity Interview. Not saying read the whole thing, but get an idea of the questions that might be asked you because that might put you on other research areas. You're like, well, what is audit? And, oh, I really seem to like frameworks. Okay, cool. Uh, and you can bring that to you with the interview and it demonstrates value. Be passionate about those things. Uh, but this really circle on kind of the, the what makes me super excited in the five, next five, 10 years, I think we're going to see a monumental, well, excluding certain economic and social situations in the world today. But uh, had there not been that, I think what we're, we are seeing now is with the visibility of software and stuff like that, we're seeing a change of ecosystems. I'm not sure that open source and the frequency of updates and the way that people are being taught to program today is a uh, sustainable practice. And so, especially in long layer products, there's a lot of challenges there to be addressed. And it might be Kubernetes today, it might be Docker, it might be a bunch of things. It doesn't matter because every technology you add brings more damp or more gasoline to the fire, if you will. Um, and so what we hopefully what we will see is a shift back to engineering, which is, that's actually what I think is really exciting. I think we're actually gonna go back to engineering again and really applying it uh, and getting away from uh, uh, what we're currently doing, which is just paper mache on paper mache. I think we'll get back to the human basics of really understanding and engineering out risk, especially with all these situations happening, like forest fires causing, guess what? Transmission lines to be shut down or burnt or damaged. Um, we're gonna start get, getting back to quote Andy Bachman, engineering out risk. And, and, and being humans again and, and, and going after things. And I think we are gonna have an uncomfortable conversation with ourselves about capitalism because capitalism really has been at the, the crux uh, and, and human, human nature, I should say just capitalism, human nature and, and some of its, its drives. Uh, we're gonna have a conversation about that because capitalism has led to people cut corners on building products. Capitalism has led us to not do as many updates when we should. Capitalism. Or, or fear of change, or uh, if I keep my budget down and don't maintain this thing and bare level it, and I'll look really good, get promoted, and then I can retire with the biggest parachute, that also hasn't been good for infrastructure. So I think we're gonna have some really epic conversations as we go, um, and hopefully we can actually go after those individuals because they are liable, uh, or they should be, for some of those decisions. But I think that, that that's what I'm excited for. I wanna watch the world burn on that one because hopefully it will result in something better.
Oof, you touched on some uh, major themes there, personal accountability and doing the right thing. You didn't say that word, but that's what I heard. Uh, it might not be profitable, but do, do the right thing. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I, there's a lot of, of very interesting powder kegs there. Um, yes. <laughs> and I'm happy to have all those conversations and, and leave my opinion at the door. Totally. <laughs> yeah, well, super. Um, well, Ron, your um, sort of energy and passion for things is uh, is awesome. And I, I certainly uh, enjoyed uh, just a thumbnail. You know, we, we, we hardly unpacked. Uh, every, there were elements of this that we could have spent an hour on just, you know, just that element. You've touched a lot of different things and are, um, you know, are doing some interesting stuff now. And so, you know, I, I always sort of, especially with people like you, just it's it's not just about thanks for being on the show today and taking the time. And you you gave me some great material ahead of time that you prepared for me to really understand some of, uh, of your, your journey. But also there's just the stuff you're doing in the industry. And, uh, you know, because without folks like you and without some of the platform that you're 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 uh, speaking on um you know we might not see some of the changes that we need so i think um we are looking at societal change and how to build security culture where everybody gets it not like these eight employees at the company care about security and the rest of us don't nope doesn't cut it we're gonna have to all you know uh have some aspects of caring about it and um it, it seems like uh you know sort of the things you're talking about are all in that in that wheelhouse of of, of societal change Yes, and, and it doesn't mean security is a cost sink. I don't I don't think security is a cost sink. Uh, I think there's a lot of things going on, like you know, software bill materials, which is kind of what we're in. We'll, we've been doing software software bill materials is old news. Uh, DoD started talking about that in like 2015 or something. One of the agencies did. So like, we are getting so far past that, and now we're thinking about how does we make a sustainable industry? How do we write better things and do better things? And 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 we're just at the the tip of the iceberg. I, I know it sounds old news, but we are really at the tip of hopefully changing something uh, in a much more dramatic fashion. Yeah. Well, and I, I've, I've thought that, that we'll have a whole new generation uh, of folks who didn't grow up with, we grew up with, with which the first connectivity was all about, let's connect. In fact, let's connect everything. This is great. And by default, we trust everything. And every now and then, oops, let's not trust that, that the new architecture would be you can't not trusting everything and making allowances. Like we're going to connect these two dots and connect those two dots and we're going to open up this connection. Mm -hmm. And so it's not trust everything and close some stuff down. It's don't trust anything and make, make desirable or, or, um, you know, intentional connections. It, it, it seems to me there'll be a whole new generation. I think about my own kids and they, you know, they get, a, they get an earful growing up in my household about, you know, all these dangers about all this connected technology and not like, I'm not a Luddite. I, I, I love connected technology. But just don't go into it blindly trusting all this stuff. Uh, we can't, you know. But but our generation or the generation before that, you know, inventing this technology was all about let's connect, reliability, internet, to, you know, internet invention. Let's make sure it's reliable. Let's send the send the packets over multiple multiple open you know open connection points. It also gets reassembled in one place, and it got there. It happened, not whether it was readable by everybody along the way. Yep, that's right. And then inside of that box, there's 50 million things, and and there's a chip talking to another chip. I mean, there. There's so much there. It's all about engineering out risk and, and consequence. Yeah. I can't say that enough. I mean, I think you've got snow where you live and I have snow, tons of snow where I live. When you go to step in your car, you know, you need to have certain things. You good snow tires. You make a choice of whether or not to drive or not or under certain conditions. That is how pragmatically you should think about technology, not whether or not that bit and bites is there and that. No, no, no. You think about what the effect of it might be if something were to happen. If it directly connects, like, for example, Internet of trash. 
and you're putting that on attaching it to a PLC and it directly talks to the cloud. You removed all the connectivity steps that gave you afforded you choice in your maintenances. So before you had like a, a pie collector and that pie collector talked to a main historian and the main historian was uh, like a, a local buffer to the corporate one. Now you removed all those, great. Your upgrades are a lot easier until that company goes out of business or they phase out that technology. What are you gonna do? Or that one stack is infeasible. So. I look at things very pragmatically. Maybe some people might say I'm a little old for my age. I should have a far more white hair, but I do look at things very, very differently. I stage upgrades, even maintenance of my house is the same way. You, you think pragmatically about it versus, hey, it's all on credit, let's go buy it. Um, no, you don't do that. If, you're, if, you, if you want to, to live past the, 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 the consequences of that action. So there's, yeah, I look at things differently, that's all. Well, here's to looking at things differently and contributing uh, to the community like you do. Uh, I've had Ron Brass, VP of Technical Research and Integrations at Adolis Technology uh, on the show. And Ron, uh, I always like to end the show uh, with uh, the, what I call the, well, what is called the verb, the, um, the verb. <laughs> I got a verb on the brain because I know you work there and I've got friends there. Uh, it's called the um, Pivot Questionnaire. And so it was uh, featured, and may still be, but featured for many years, uh, James Lipton, the, the host of um, Inside the Actor Studio, ended all these interviews with famous actors and actresses with these 10 questions. He borrowed it from a French show before that, hence its name. And so I, I, I think it could be you know, 50 years old. And so I'm just gonna ask you the provoke question here if you're up for it, and the same, same questions today. Sure, go for it. All right, what is your favorite word? Valid. What is your least favorite word? Assumption. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Urgency. What turns you off? Not following through. What is your favorite curse word? Weeds. What sound or noise do you love? There's a noise, uh, this goes back to my wakeboarding days, in a tournament, when you go to jump off the dock, you hear nothing but you smell fresh. I don't know how to explain it. When the boat goes to go and you dock start, there's a smell. And a, and a feeling and a sound. And when that board hits the water, there's this loud slap and all you hear is a V8 go, that, that, that sound and experience at once. What sound or noise do you hate? Sound or noise that I hate? Oof. Uh, oh, a ball bearing going. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, that's a good question. I think I'd like to be an arborist or like something that takes care of like very special like plants and stuff. There's something nice about it. What profession would you like to not do? Be that guy that drives the caterpillar mowing over the garbage dump. No thanks. And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? <laughs> well, I can kind of imagine saying something like this. <laughs> I kept you a long, 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 alive longer than you expected. And I'd probably nod to him and say, uh, thanks for the assistance for all those times I wasn't going to make it where I was struggling. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you. Ron Brash, VP of Technical Research and Integrations at Adolis Technology and uh, longtime contributor to the control system cybersecurity community. Uh, thanks for coming on the show and for doing uh, what you do. Thanks, Derek. Thanks for having me. And uh, anybody else wants to reach out, come talk to me. My, my door is always open. Awesome message. Take care. Be well. Bye, Ron.